Good morning. If you would take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and my assignment this morning is the subject of the grievance gospel. The grievance gospel. Uh, I will read one verse of Scripture and then we will pray and we will dive right into this subject that is before us today, which I believe to be extremely important and vital for us to understand what is taking place not only in the greater sphere of our culture, but also, and, and most importantly, within the church of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, one verse, verse number 8, will be the focus. And Paul writes this to the church in Colossae. He says in verse number 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Join me in prayer if you would. Father, we do ask now that you would encourage us and strengthen us for this hour in which we live in church history. That we would understand the importance of standing firm upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to exercise great wisdom and clarity in how we approach these issues. But yet, I pray that we would speak up and that we would stand up and that we would not stand down to the culture and the pressures that happen to be uh, opposing the very Gospel of Jesus Christ and infiltrating the church of King Jesus. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. The editorial board of the Wall Street Journal pointed to the problem of social justice in an editorial that was titled, quote, The Democrats' Identity Meltdown. The editors stated that Democrats have, quote, unleashed race, gender, sexual orientation, and class as the defining issues of American politics. It's no wonder that Elizabeth Warren, a white woman from Oklahoma, has in recent days tried to self-identify as an American Indian in order to gain sympathy points and political advantage. Because you see, that's the rage of our present culture. That's the rage of the day. We use intersectionality and we use sympathy points and we use oppression to try to cause individuals to rise up in our current culture. James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose in their book titled Cynical Theories writes the following, quote, it is becoming increasingly difficult to miss the influence of social justice or the social justice movement on society, most notably in the form of identity politics or political correctness. The tsunami of social justice has landed on America with a massive splash of destruction. In the early summer days of 2018, I published an article on my blog titled, The SBC at the Intersection of Intersectionality. There was a, a professor in one of the SBC schools that retweeted that article out, and within a couple of hours, Russell Moore, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, called his provost at his school and had him delete that tweet because he stated that it was spreading things that were not true about the convention. That was in the, in the early summer of 2018. Uh, just a few weeks later, we would arrive in Dallas for a meeting that was known as the, or has become known as the Dallas meeting, where we sat around the table and we talked through the issues surrounding social justice. We tried to drill down on these issues, the movement itself. This, of course, coming after and on the heels of the MLK 50 event and then the, the downward turn of T4G and all of the social justice uh, that was infiltrating local churches and evangelical conferences. As we sat there and as we had these conversations and as we discussed these issues, we decided to write a statement that would address these issues that happened to be impacting the evangelical church. And so in the fall of 2018, we released the statement 
on social justice and the gospel. Immediately after we released this statement, we received pushback from evangelical leaders within Big Eva suggesting that we were simply addressing issues that were not true. They were saying things like, what social justice movement are you talking about? Are you guys serious? There is no such thing. Just one year later, in 2019, the Southern Baptist Convention adopted publicly Resolution 9, which was uh, stating that we should use critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools for gospel ministry. So in 2018, we had Russell Moore uh, calling down a professor for retweeting an article that suggested that the SBC was at the intersection of intersectionality And then just one year later, here we are adopting those very ideas as analytical tools for gospel ministry. And then within the last several weeks, in the tsunami of the social justice movement, on the heels of the the issues surrounding the cultural movement with George Floyd and other issues, we have those very same leaders within evangelicalism marching in the streets for Black Lives Matter events. And so here we are at this cultural controversy, this dilemma, and we must make very clear where we stand on the gospel of Jesus. By now, it's no secret at all that we are swimming in this cesspool of victimhood. At every turn, there is a headline suggesting that this specific group has been victimized, this specific individual is is oppressed, and so on and so forth. Take, for instance, some newspaper headlines in recent days. Bloomberg Opinion uh, 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 ran a headline uh, under the title, The Theological Roots of White Supremacy, published August 3rd, 2020. The Atlantic published an article titled, White Christian America Needs a Moral Awakening, published July 28, 2020. The New Yorker ran an article titled, American Christianity's White Supremacy Problem. This was published September 2, 2020. NBC's news opinion section titled, Think, ran an article titled, Racism among white Christians is higher than the non-religious. That's no coincidence. This was published on July 27th, 2020. NPR ran an article titled, quote, White supremacist ideas have historical roots in U.S. Christianity. This was ran July 1st, 2020. CNN ran an article titled, This is a moment of reckoning on race for white Christians. And this was published June 19th, 2020. The social justice movement is not merely contained in the world of politics, but it is moving rapidly throughout the evangelical church. Now, as Paul writes this very letter to the church at Colossae, there were issues that were facing the church that he wanted to address. Uh, They were experiencing pressures of vain philosophy, of false teaching. And his charge to them in verse number 8 was this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so it is that in our present day, we need to take that very same charge seriously. The church in America, the church at large, the church of Jesus needs to make sure that we are standing firm on the gospel without compromise, no matter what the winds of culture may say. And so let's uh, seek to drill down on this issue. And for the next few minutes, what I would like to do is seek to identify the grievance gospel and then move to the gospel of Jesus. The word grievance can be defined as, quote, a cause of distress felt to afford reason for complaint or resistance. Another definition of grievance is, quote, a real or imagined wrong or other cause for complaint or protest, especially 
unfair treatment, end quote. The message of the grievance gospel does a couple of very important things. The first thing that the grievance gospel within the movement of social justice wants to do is to explain who is guilty. It wants to address who we are and how we're guilty of oppression. The second thing that it wants to do is it wants to explain how those who have been wronged or oppressed deserve to be compensated for their oppression. And so flowing right out of the grievance gospel is the idea of reparations. It's the idea of promotion based on skin color. It's the idea of open doors and open opportunities based on gender. It's the idea of giving seat at the table of of administration or leadership based merely upon gender or, or, or based upon ethnicity. It's this idea of advancing others not based on the quality of their character or their giftedness, but based upon their melanin or based upon their own gender. It serves as a form of religious affirmative action. It promotes a culture of victimhood. In short, it points out the oppressor and explains what the oppressed deserve. And such a message is divisive. It is not unifying. The grievance gospel is at the heart of the social justice movement and has a massive goal of deconstruction to dismantle denominations, to dismantle local churches, and to rebuild upon a foundation that they decide and that they build the rules and the blueprint thereof. Such a perverse message is impacting the whole of our culture. When you consider the fact that the family has been impacted by the grievance gospel, Corporate America has been impacted by the grievance gospel. The academy has been impacted by the pressures of the grievance gospel. When two plus two equals five is something that Harvard would argue for, we understand right off the the bat that that is an absolute indicator that the grievance gospel is impacting the academy. We're having conversations about pronouns and and whether we should use certain pronouns to address certain individuals based on their preference. The world of athletics has been hammered by the grievance gospel, both college and and at the professional level. For instance, in recent days, the NBA Players Association came to an agreement on allowing social justice statements to be worn on individual players' jerseys for this season. including uh, some of these various statements such as, Black Lives Matter, I Can't Breathe, Vote, Justice, Stand Up, Listen, Listen to Us, Say Their Names, Education Reform, Equality, Freedom, Enough, Say Her Name, I Am a Man, Speak Up, Ally, Anti-Racist, Justice now, power to the people, see us, hear us, respect us, love us, and get this, group economics. Mind you that none of those NBA players would ever arrive at a place where they experience such uh, wonderful privilege through the ideas of group economics. Public health has been infiltrated by the grievance gospel. The idea of health equity is on the voting block right now for this presidential election. The legal world has been hammered by the grievance gospel, but the point that I want to drive home this morning is this, is that the church of Jesus Christ today is being affected, is being attacked by the grievance gospel. I want us to see in verse number 8 what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae when he says, first and foremost, beware of the danger of these vain philosophies, these empty, deceitful teachings. So we need to understand as a church in our present hour the danger of the grievance gospel. Notice what he says here. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. This Greek word, take you captive, actually means to gain control by carrying off booty. 
It means to make captive of. It means to rob. And so the idea here that Paul is trying to drive home to the church at Colossae is that no one would carry us away. No one would rob us. No one would take us captive. Douglas Moo observes the following. He says, quote, It vividly expresses the danger that the readers may be carried off as plunder by an alien and fundamentally anti-Christian form of teaching. I would simply suggest to you today that that is precisely what the grievance gospel is. It is an anti-Christian theology. It is another religion. Make no mistake about it, the social justice movement giving birth to this grievance gospel is a cult. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is raping the church of Jesus. The danger of the grievance gospel is that it seeks to destroy, to deconstruct, and to dismantle local churches. It seeks to dismantle, it it seeks to destroy the very fabric of evangelical denominations, once conservative, once bold, once standing firm, are now being swept downstream in this grievance gospel tsunami. The danger involves the attack upon the gospel itself. What's at the heart of this issue is the gospel. Within the evangelical world today, we have several different groups as we survey the scene, if you will. We have the woke warriors. Those are the individuals that know exactly what's going on. They are the ones who are leading the charge in this movement. You have another group that you might call the non-woke, but yet sympathetic and confused. And then you might have, say, a third group that could be classified as the non-woke, unengaged. These are the people that say, well, I'm not really interested in finding out about all of this social justice stuff. I'm not really interested in finding out about you know, critical race theory and intersectionality, all of that stuff. I'm just going to stay in my lane. Well, if you're a gospel preacher, your lane is to stand firm and to stand up and to speak up against anything that would attack the very gospel of Jesus. The danger to this woke philosophy, this grievance gospel, is that it confuses people and moves them by sympathy, by emotion, and by the pulling of the heartstrings, by virtue signaling people to come to the woke side of the fence. This is why many Christians are encouraging church members to march in Black Lives Matter events to show that they actually do care for black people. Well, I don't know a a genuine Christian that I've had conversation with that would actually argue that black lives don't matter. But it's the issue of saying that black lives matter first is where we are being driven along and swept away in this vain philosophy. After the release of the Statement on Social Justice, Russell Moore suggested that the goal of the statement on social justice in the gospel was primarily about race. He talked to to Lauren Green on Fox News in an interview where he stated the following about the social justice statement, quote, what we're really talking about is race. And so I think we have a a long lasting issue within evangelicalism of people saying, let's not talk about issues of Racial reconciliation, unity and justice, that would be a distraction from the gospel. That's exactly what was happening in the 19th century as it related to human slavery. That's exactly what was happening in the 1920s and 1950s as it related to Jim Crow. And it persists among us, end quote. Well, in that very interview, what he was saying about us those of us who were the, the original crafters of this statement, is that we are to be aligned and seen to be aligned with the Jim Crow era. The main focus of the statement itself is actually not all about race. Out of the 14 articles, the statement contains two that focus on race and 12 others that focus on other matters, including biblical manhood and womanhood and the mission of the church, which is Christocentric, 
with this gospel of Jesus, the message of Christ at the center. The term woke has been defined by Eric Mason in a sermon at Dallas Theological Seminary as an urban colloquialism used by black nationalists and those who are in the black consciousness movement, end quote. Needless to say, it doesn't have the very best beginning point. Eric Mason goes on to author a book titled Woke Church. In it, he makes the following bold assertion. He says, quote, To apply this, we must be awakened to the reality of implicit and explicit racism and injustice in our society. Until then, our prophetic voice on these matters will be anemic and silent. Being woke is to be aware. Being woke is to acknowledge the truth. Being woke is to be accountable. Being woke is to be active. This is the call of God on the church and on every believer, end quote. So according to Eric Mason, the church's commission, the church's great commission is to be woke. What a tragedy The Christians are actually buying into this. In evangelical conferences in recent days, you can go back to 2018, you can go back to uh, the MLK 50 event that was put on by the Gospel Coalition and the ERLC of the SBC. In that event, a man by the name of Preston Perry was invited to the platform at the MLK 50 event to give a spoken word poem about Michael Brown. The poem was titled, Dear Mike Brown. Now in the poem, he says the following. Starts off by saying, quote, Dear Mike Brown, I don't know you. I don't know if your unarmed body rose from his bed that morning planning to stick his hands in a squad car. Now notice how Preston Perry uses the carefully chosen language of unarmed body to just press forward this false narrative of police brutality. Keep in mind that the DOJ report stated emphatically that the hands up, don't shoot was a lie. It was not even true. That if he did hold his hands up, according to verified witnesses that were on the scene when it happened, that he charged Officer Wilson, which resulted in him being shot multiple times. Vody Bauckham penned an article after that tragedy in Ferguson that was published on the Gospel Coalition's website titled Thoughts on Ferguson, where he traced the narrative of a life of a thug that ends in disaster. Vody's main point was that he reaped what he sowed. Well, he received massive pushback from that. And in this very poem coming Years after that article was, was penned by Vody, Preston Perry at the MLK 50 event, an evangelical conference, stated the following. He said, Forgive us for the loud sort of wars that we raged in your name during your wake. Rest in peace. Be still in your grave. Don't let your skeleton roll over for those loosed tongue, insensitive individuals like the pastor who wrote in the blog, that you reaped what you sowed. I wonder if mercy was anywhere in his mouth when he spoke of you. Did he think of his sons and how it could have been their bodies, shadow boxing bullets on the other side of that gun? End quote. Notice how he continues to, to push this false narrative, this narrative of, of victimology, this narrative of oppression, this narrative of injustice at the hands of police officers. Is there any reason whatsoever you can imagine that here we have police officers doing their job, standing on the line in American cities as they're being set on fire for what one officer did in a state far removed from their context, being spit upon, called all sorts of ungodly, hateful names in the name of what? Social justice. T4G, 2018, Lig Duncan in his sermon stated the following as he's talking about his understanding of social justice. He said, friends, this isn't about some social gospel. 
There are a lot of, he says, there are a lot of things that you can worry about in life. Don't ever worry about, worry that Lig Duncan really grooves on cultural Marxism, okay? This is the dadgum second commandment, end quote. Needless to say, at the very least, Lig Duncan is conflating social justice and the law of God. No, it's not the dadgum second commandment. It's the grievance gospel of social justice. At the Crew 19 Connection Weekend on July 20th, 2019, the speaker for the event to thousands of college students was Sandra Von Opstahl. She is a second generation Latina, grew up in a Catholic tradition, claimed to be born again in a Southern Baptist church, was discipled through InterVarsity, and now serves as a pastor at Grace and Peace Community on the west side of Chicago. According to her own website, she is a preacher, a liturgist, an activist who is reimagining, get this, the intersection of worship and justice. Speaking to thousands of college students, she says the following. She, she spoke from the book of Amos, and she weaves into the talk a narrative about the dominant white culture and how this is problematic. She talks about injustice in various spheres, from oppressed women and people of color, along with those who are serving time for crimes that they committed as a teenager. She points people to be engaged as activists and to seek justice. And at one strange point, she actually calls for thousands of teenagers to abandon their local church to do what she claims is the Lord's work. Within the church today, we have evangelicals who are promoting this grievance gospel Scholars have now been replaced by sociologists. Pastors have been replaced by community organizers. Churches have been downgraded into community centers. Denominations have been twisted into liberal political action committees. Theology has been replaced by victimology. And the gospel of Jesus has been replaced by the grievance gospel. It was John Calvin who said, quote, A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. Yet, that is precisely much of what we're hearing from Big Eva leaders in our present culture. Silence. Crickets. No guarding of the gospel. No silencing of the hucksters. No faithful shepherding of, and protecting of the sheep. Complicity, capitulation, and compromise. We are living in the days of the greatest threat to the gospel in at least the last 100 years, and yet we're witnessing the greatest downgrade of evangelicalism while men remain silent. Where are the men? Where are the courageous soldiers of the cross? Where are the men of valor? Where are the men? We're living in an age within evangelicalism where we're suffering from a man shortage. This is the danger of the grievance gospel. But notice also in verse number 8, he speaks about this philosophy calling it empty deceit. Empty deceit. Now as we consider this, this idea of the grievance gospel and the goal of it, the deceitful aspect of it is it's consistently pressing us to these categories Suggesting that certain people are guilty, guilty of, of white supremacy merely because of the fact that we were born with white skin. This idea of whiteness as being sinful. In the Sparrow Conference for Women, Ekamini Uwan on the platform said the following to women. She said, So then when we talk about white identity, then we have to talk about what whiteness is. Well, the reality is that whiteness is rooted in plunder, in theft, in slavery, in enslavement of Africans, genocide of Native Americans. We are sitting on stolen land. 
If you are in America, we are sitting on stolen land everywhere in America. This is the reality of the land that was stolen from Native Americans. And we have to recognize and acknowledge that. It's a power structure. That is what whiteness is. And so that the thing for white women to do is you have to divest from whiteness. Because what happened was that your ancestors actually made a deliberate choice to rid themselves of their ethnic identity, and by doing so, they actually stripped Africans in America of their ethnic identity. End quote. This consistent narrative of oppressed and oppressors and who is guilty and were guilty merely because we were born with white skin then moves to this idea that we deserve to pay for it. The grievance gospel promotes the idea of reparations. It has been well said in recent days, quote, the whole gospel of Karl Marx can be summed up in a single sentence. Hate the man who is better off than you are, end quote. Thabiti Anyabwile on reparations, arguing from the book of Ezra, stated the following, If God, who is just and only does justice, has acted in this way, then it cannot be unjust for nation-states to voluntarily repay its own citizens for crimes suffered at its hands, no matter when the crimes occurred. Eric Mason, author of Woke Church on Reparations, stated the following, Africans were released from slavery without any counseling, without any economic plan, without any opportunity. He went on to say, left out there in a way that we would say wasn't restorative for them, being kidnapped by their kidnappers and imported into this country as an import versus an immigrant, end quote. In a sermon from Ezra, Eric Mason stated the following when commenting in the early verses of Ezra 1. He said, Silver, hallelujah. Gold, hallelujah. Goods, hallelujah. And livestock, I feel God right there. End quote. Church services in evangelical circles are being held where they're burning candles on the platform and inviting people to come forward to bow their knee and to repent of systemic racism and systemic injustice. Well, it's not just the ethnicity issue, it's also the gender issue. Russell Moore, the president of the ERLC of the SBC, stated the following, quote, There would be no Southern Baptist Convention without Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. We desperately need a resurgence of women's voices and women's leadership and women's empowerment again. It is way past time, end quote. Notice the word empowerment. It's key language in the social justice movement. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, tweeted out the following to Beth Moore regarding her article where she was writing about uh, her own oppression that she said that she's experienced within evangelicalism. This is what J.D. Greer said, quote, Thank you, Beth. Hoping that we are entering a new era where we are where we in the complementarian world take all the Word of God seriously, not just parts about distinction of roles, but also the tearing down of all hierarchy and His gracious distribution of gifts to all His children. You see the problems here. These are major evangelical leaders who are cramming the social justice grievance gospel down the throats of local churches. But not only the danger and the deceit, notice the depravity of these philosophies. Paul says to the church at Colossae, it's not only empty deceit, but it's according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. This idea of human tradition, the content of instruction that has been handed down, this idea of tradition, of course, coming out of human tradition, which is depraved. This idea of elemental 
spirits of the world, this transcendent powers that are in control over events in this world. Well, that's precisely what we're facing in our own day as it pertains to the grievance gospel. The social justice grievance gospel is controlling, dividing, impacting, impacting businesses, athletics, education, the academy, but most importantly, the church of Jesus Christ. The problem within this woke movement is that many people are overly informed and undereducated. Cultural cultural awakening has taken the priority over spiritual awakening in our own grievance gospel circles. Where we're pushing people, we're seeing these leaders press people to be woke rather than being born again. You're hearing words like, Churches need to be multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse. Ed Stetzer and many others within evangelical circles are setting up a way and pressing upon churches to figure out their level of health based upon diversity. And in all of this diversity, by the way, is always and primarily focused on ethnicity, not age diversity. It's skin color that's really the issue. But J.C. Ryle said it well years ago when he said, quote, Whenever a man takes upon him to make additions to the Scriptures, he is likely to end with valuing his own additions above Scripture itself. And that, you see, is exactly where we are within this idea of the grievance gospel within evangelicalism is that we have now arrived at a a time where these social justicians have encouraged and educated and discipled pastors in local churches and seminary students in their institutions, on their campuses, to embrace these ideas, these ideologies, over Scripture itself. This is the grievance gospel. And it must be seen as something other than, distinct from, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And any knowing professor or evangelical leader within Big Eva that's leading the church of Jesus Christ astray needs to repent. And if they're unwilling to repent, then they need to be removed from their positions immediately. The gospel of Jesus is what we're called to. Notice the call, the charge here. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The church of Jesus is to be identified with Christ. To be identified with Christ. The gospel has been repackaged as sort of a a tagline for marketing. We must abandon this idea of a gospel movement. It's a message. The message of Jesus. And yet, if if we embrace any other message than the gospel of Jesus, remember what Paul said in his opening words to the church in Galatia. He said, quote, I am astonished that that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But notice what he says here. In Galatians 1.8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Anathema. Let him be damned to hell. The gospel of Jesus explains our guilt. And it reveals the fact that our works are worthless to get us to God. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. 
But it's the grievance gospel that explains our guilt and then lectures us that we should be ashamed and that we should work to achieve equity of status among differing groups. This idea of penance, this idea that's interwoven throughout this false religion that we know as the grievance gospel. But the church, you see, as Paul would say, is to be identified with Christ. And the church must be identified with the message of Christ as we proclaim it. The issue of the grievance gospel is a sufficiency of Scripture issue. Standpoint epistemology is this idea that, well, if, if, if you don't have a certain color skin, then you have no real ability to, to speak to the issues of oppression and injustice within this social justice climate. You need to have a lived experience resume before you can actually address those issues. That's what we call standpoint epistemology. Now, if that were true, then, then you would say that Paul would have been saying to Timothy, Timothy, I can't send you to Ephesus. I can't send you to, to pastor the church in Ephesus because you don't have a lived experience that's identified with that culture so well, so we're going to have to find someone else. Resolution 9 on critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools for ministry is a flat denial of the sufficiency of Scripture. Truth matters, doctrine matters, theology matters. And all throughout God's Word, we see this definite article when it's referring to the Gospel of Jesus. The Gospel. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Not a truth. It is the truth. It is the truth of the Gospel of Jesus. We have gone through all sorts of stages within the history of our nation. We have gone from rationalism and rationalism moved to empiricism, empiricism to existentialism, existentialism to postmodernism, and postmodernism has given us the birth of the grievance gospel. This revolution of social justice must be opposed, it must be rejected as another gospel. The word gospel in the New Testament. Euangelion, it literally means good news or glad tidings. It is the announcement of salvation of mankind through Jesus Christ. The gospel could be defined as the message of hope centered on the fact that the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, infinitely holy God of all creation, took upon Himself human flesh and was crushed by the Father on the cross in a painful substitutionary death for hopeless sinners. And on the third day, Jesus was brought to life in victory over death and the grave, proving the fact that He alone is the exclusive means of reconciliation for guilty rebels and lawbreakers to receive the forgiveness of sins and the mercy from a holy and wrathful God. In Galatians 3.13, this is what Paul said. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, Paul boasted in the cross, not his Jewish heritage. Paul boasted in the cross, not his gender. Paul boasted in the cross, not his religious pedigree. Paul boasted in the cross, not his status as an apostle. Paul boasted in the cross, not his work as a missionary or a church planter or his abilities as a theologian. He boasted in the gospel of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, he wrote to the church at Corinth in verse 18 and said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now on the basis of that verse, I want to ask this question. Why would we trade the gospel of Jesus that is the power of God for the grievance gospel? In his most important letter in the New Testament, the book of Romans, Paul writes 
the definite article before the word gospel in numerous verses. In Romans 1.9, it is the gospel. In Romans 1.16, it is the gospel. Romans 2.16, the gospel. Romans 10.16, the gospel. Romans 11.28, the gospel. Romans 15.16, the gospel. Romans 15.19, the gospel. Romans 15.20, the gospel. Romans 16.25, the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus that is good news. It is the gospel of Jesus that unifies. It is the gospel of Jesus that saves. But it is the gospel of grievance that damns. The church of Jesus doesn't need to be called to a new revolution, a new movement, or a woke revival. The church of Jesus doesn't need intersectionality, ethnic pragmatism, critical race theory, or social justice. We need the gospel of Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus that brings together in the church, in the community of believers, in the ecclesia, Jew and Gentile, bond and free, male and female, circumcised and uncircumcised, red, yellow, black, white, rich, poor, young and old. And any and all who bow to Jesus will be saved. And the greatest mark of privilege, since we're talking about privilege, within this social justice climate, mind you, that the greatest privilege in this world is to be identified with Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is the greatest privilege that anyone will ever experience. Angels, fallen angels, will never experience it. To be a child of the King. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Isaac Watts said it this way, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I. You see, it's the Gospel that puts us as worms, but it's the grievance Gospel that says, you deserve something. Get what you deserve. The answer to reaching a lost culture, the answer to uniting a Christian community is not the cult of the grievance gospel. It is not the the cult of postmodern power. It is not the cult of deconstructionism. It's not the cult of systemic power. It is the gospel of Jesus. During the downgrade controversy, Charles Spurgeon stood as a champion for truth. In his ministry, he accomplished many things. He preached more than 600 times before he was 20 years of age. His sermons sold some 25,000 copies per week and were translated into 20 languages. He read six books per week as he sought to sharpen his mind for the preaching of the Word. It's said that he read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress over a hundred times. He saw more than 14,400 people added to his church during his ministry. He founded a a pastor's college. He trained approximately 900 men for the ministry. He founded an orphanage, produced more than 140 books, edited a magazine, responded to 500 letters each week before word processing technology. He often preached some 10 times each week combined through guest appearances in those within his own local church context. And he labored to spare the Baptist name from the liberals of his day. And he died at 57. Many historians believe that if Spurgeon had not engaged in the social justice fight, or the, 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 the liberal fight of his day, the liberalism that was engaging on, on the Baptist of his day, that he would have he would have lived beyond age 57. So what should we do in our own social justice fight of our day? Should we sit back and be quiet? Should we just go along with the flow? What should we do? Well, at one point, Spurgeon said the following related to this idea of the downgrade and the liberalism of his current context. He wrote and said, Be ready for a bad name. Be willing to be called a bigot 
Be prepared for loss of friendships. Be prepared for anything so long as you can stand fast by Him who bought you with His precious blood. God give you courage, more and more of it, through faith in Himself. May you be willing to put your religion to every proper test, the test of life and the test of death too. End quote. In his sermon on Matthew 4, 4, this is what Spurgeon said. He said, this weapon, and he was talking about the Bible, the Scriptures. This weapon is good at all points. Good for defense and for attack. To guard our whole person or to strike through the joints and marrow of the foe. Like the seraph sword at Eden's gate, it turns every way. You cannot be in a condition that the Word of God has not provided. The Word has as many faces and eyes as providence itself. You will find it unfailing in all periods of your life, in all circumstances, in all companies, in all trials, and under all difficulties. Were it fallible, it would be useless in emergencies. But its unerring truth renders it precious beyond all price to the soldiers of the cross. End quote. Continuing to fight in the downgrade controversy, he said the following. This is my, my final charge to you, you men who preach the Word in this room, you students of the Word of God, you fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's my parting exhortation from the words of Spurgeon. A chasm is opening between the men who believe their Bibles and those who are prepared for an advance upon the Scripture. The house is being robbed. Its very walls are being digged down. But the good people who are in bed are too fond of the warmth to go downstairs to meet the burglars. May it not be said of us that we are complacent and that we are too comfortable in our own little circles to get out of bed and to go down the stairs and to stand for truth. I've been on calls with evangelical leaders, with Tom Askell, where they questioned his sanity for leading the founders to oppose the issues of social justice. I have had people tell me that the, the G3 conference would tank if we stood firmly against these issues. Is that possible? Sure it is. If it tanks, God is still sovereign. Jesus is still seated upon His throne. And we have much work yet to do. Don't be a compromiser. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get out of bed. March down the stairs and stand for the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' bride is being raped. Don't allow these individuals to continue to infiltrate local churches and denominations with the grievance gospel. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your labor in the issue of the grievance gospel, your labor in social justice is not in vain. May God bless you.